You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. And open up with me to Genesis chapter 4 this evening. Genesis chapter 4 is where we find ourselves as we are moving through our study of the book of Genesis. And if you are taking notes tonight, the title for this message is Choices Matter. Choices Matter. And we're going to be seeking to cover chapter 4 and chapter 5 this evening as we move through our study of the book of Genesis. And if you have been here, you know this. If you haven't and you stick, then you will learn it. That the book of Genesis, well, it was written by Moses. And Moses, well, he in fact wrote all the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he wrote those, and the theme of the book of Genesis, we find within the title of this book, well, it is simply that of beginnings. Where in the book of Genesis, we see the literal beginnings of everything, except, of course, God, who was there in the beginning, creating everything. And we break down the book of Genesis really into two main sections, each with their own four subsections. And we are first, right now in the first section, which is outlined by four great events. Four great events, where we have already seen the formation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We are currently in the second subsection, that of the fall of man from Genesis 3 to 5. Next week, we're going to start the flood account as we're going to be moving through Genesis 6 through 9, looking at Noah and the ark and the flood and all that that entailed. And after that comes the fallouts from rebellion in Genesis chapter 10 through 11, there with the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the peoples across the world. And after that, we come to the next section of the book of Genesis, which is not about four great events, but rather four great men. As the Bible hones in on four great men, all belonging to one family from the family of Abraham, so as to show us the birth, really, of God's chosen people, the Jews. And we see that moving from chapters 12 all the way through Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of the book, where we start with, yes, like I said, Abraham, and then we move to his son Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Joseph, all spanning their stories as we move through the book of Genesis and see how the Lord Lord worked in their lives, calling them and using them as they followed after him. And as we have moved through our, our, our study thus far, and we move in and through our text tonight, we continue through that second subsection, dealing with the fall of man. Something that we studied last week that was brought about by Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden, they're disobeying the one command that God had given them as they were there, as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were presented a choice, a choice that they were tempted in by the devil, that they chose to sin against God. And as sin was committed there for the first time in the Garden of Eden, well, we saw sin enter into the world and really the curse of sin that, that came into the world and set the world on a trajectory of living in sin, a trajectory that we're still on as we live in a fallen world still here today. And we left last week with sin having entered the world, Adam and Eve having been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were clothed, you'll remember, by the Lord in animal skins that he gave them, and they were walking into a new life that was other than what the Lord had intended for them. And tonight, we really continue in that story. And what we're going to see tonight as we continue in the narrative of Adam and Eve is we see the first couple, well, they become the first family as we move in and through our text. And as we're going to outline the children there of Adam and Eve, who we know Cain and Abel and Seth, well, we're going to see that their lives, well, they were presented with choices as well. Choices that they made that set their family lines on trajectories as well, that set their lines on paths of living as well, that we should hone in on as the church. And as we study tonight, we know, we'll not only see the narrative of the Bible play out and we study and, and learn what it has to say, but we also see that the Bible has much to say to us about the choices that we make. And so that's what we're going to seek to see tonight as we move through this and study the Word of God. And what I want to do is actually want to open up in chapter 4, and I want to read from verses 1 to 15, so as to get really the whole of the Cain and Abel narrative, as that's how we're going to break up this study, is by looking at each sons of, of Adam and Eve and their relationship and their, their uh, time in the text. So if you are there, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, 
And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the grounds. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fats. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? You know, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood, it cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Let's pray together before we continue on in our study. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we praise you and we thank you indeed, just as we were doing just a few moments ago, just singing about how worthy you are of every praise, of every breath, God, as you give it to us, Lord, we just want to give it back to you. We thank you, God for bringing us into your fold, Lord, reconciling us to yourself through the blood of Jesus. God, we just praise you for that. I pray that we continue just to praise you for that. And Lord, as we have opportunity and freedom and an invitation from you always to enter into your presence and to study your word, God, I pray that tonight as these have come out, that we would, Lord, take this time and we would open up our hearts and minds to what you would have to say to us. And Lord, I thank you for your word that speaks. And I, I pray right now, and I pray again expectantly, that you would teach us tonight, that you would help us to understand your word and the things within it, that we would build our lives upon you and choose you, God, as you have called us to choose you. And so, Lord, I just thank you, and I thank you for your word, and I ask that you would be with us now, and you would help us to understand and help us to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we open up in the text, and really before we get to Cain and Abel, we do notice something and something to make note of is that we see that Adam and Eve, well, it says that they knew one another as husband and wife. And I, I want to, especially because of the culture that we live in today, I, I want to make mention that this here is the first explicit mention of sex within the Bible between a man and his wife. And I want you to notice, and it's there on purpose, that the Bible uses the word knew or know to describe the sexual action of Adam and Eve, which is such a, a powerful and really a, a pure term to describe the sexual relationship of a husband and wife, the only sexual relationship that the Lord and his word honors and sees as good. You see, as Adam and Eve, as they knew one another, well, it reflects the intimacy that God built into marriage, that he still builds into marriage, the intimacy of a husband and wife sharing every piece and part of one another and doing so to know one another and to know no other, to know one another and to know no other. And that is how God set it up. And again, it is the Bible which is supposed to set our worldview. As believers, it's the Bible that is the standard. And so as we see here, God set this up within the, the beginning, set it up there between husband and wife. Well, it's important for us to take note of that and to know that as the Bible speaks to it, it sets the standard and God, well, he sees it as good. It's a blessing from the Lord's. And as we see there, this intimate union, whether it was the first time, which is more than likely not the case, or some subsequent time, we see that Eve, well, she gets pregnant and has a son. And in the verses we just read, we learn that she doesn't just have one son, but she has another and has, she has two sons there, the Bible highlights for us here in the beginning. If you're taking notes, we see the first are Cain and Abel. And they are born of Adam and Eve, and you know, just to 
just a caveat for a second, you have to imagine that these two humans who were created as adult humans, all of a sudden seeing a baby human, were probably like, what? <laughs> like, just think about that. Like, they're like, Lord, this one doesn't walk. <laughs> it doesn't talk. Like, all they know are adults. And they're like, uh, <laughs> just got to be some supernatural wisdom that the Lord was just like, hey, here's what you do. Or the Lord's like, let, let me help you out here just a bit. I just, I thought about that today and could not stop laughing. So there you go. But we see these two baby boys, they are born and they grow into, in, into finally adult-sized humans. And we see that as they're born, as, they ra- as they're raised, these two boys, well, they grow into their own lives, their own roles. And these two brothers, we see it says that Abel, well, he was a keeper of sheep and that Cain was a tiller of the ground. And another caveat of sorts, just to help us out and something to continue to let the, the Bible set our worldview is to realize that in the Word of God, we see God creating, again, man in His image. And as He creates them in His image, and the Bible is meant to set our worldview, we need to understand that as the world would seek to say that man went through an evolutionary process to grow into intelligent beings, that that is not what the Bible shows us. Like the Bible shows us very early on that man was created and man was also very capable. Like we see here, Adam, he was given, as he was there in the Garden of Eden, he was given a call to steward there, the creation. Eve as well, alongside Adam, was there called to help him out. They weren't there to just learn how to use their posable thumbs that they had as they were hidden off in a cave somewhere. No, God created humans and he created them in a way where they were capable. Like we see here, Cain, we see here, Abel, they live lives that were very intelligent as they cultivated agriculture and as they cultivated and domesticated herds of animals for meat and for clothing, no doubt. And as we're going to see even tonight, we see early humans that were living and creating and building and cultivating art and music and things like that. The Bible, friends, again, is what is to set our worldview. And in a world, again, that not only seeks to change the truth of sex, as we just talked about, but also seeks to change the truth and the origin of humanity and how humans came to be where we are today, which it's arguable whether we're more intelligent now or not. But anyways, what we see is that in the beginning, God created man and he created them intelligence. He created them capable. And as the church, we need to always let the Bible set our worldview. Let the Bible be that which shows us, hey, this is where we came from. We came from the Lord's. We are still made in his image and we're still made with a mind to think and a mind to work and to do for him. So again, that was a bit of a caveat just of sorts, but I think it's important for us here in the beginning of the Bible, again, to let the Bible set our worldview, to let the Bible speak true and that be the truth that we hang on to. And as we see these two brothers, they're each working in their specific fields and specific trades, if you will. And verses three through five, well, they give us insights into these two brothers coming before the Lord and offering each an offering. Now, we aren't told whether this was the first time the brothers brought an offering there to the Lord or if this was a practice that they walked in, but we are told very clearly that they both brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought, it says, an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, the Bible says, brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fats. And as we read the narrative past that in verses four through five, we see that the Lord, it says that he respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's. And we're going to unpack that a bit more in just a moment. But a few clarifying things to help us not get hung up and really some things that have hung up many within studying the word of God in the past and even now, there's some things to clarify to make sure that we understand what is going on and why the Lord responds in the way he does. You see, understand there, is, there are some that get hung up on the idea that God respects Abel's and doesn't respect Cain's offering. Well, because one of them was because, because these were offered in, in relation to atonement for sin. And the idea here is that, we, is that Abel's was better because it had to do with blood and, and, and Cain's was not because it had to do with produce. But really at this point in time, the law and the sacrificial system to cover sin, it hasn't been set up yet. And so this offering here, it was not to be seen as an offering there given and offered out so as to atone for sin, but this is simply an offer of worship there to the Lord's. And so the reason that the Lord respects Abel's and not Cain's is not because this is having to deal with sin being covered. 
Another, another way to get off base and something that has derailed some is, that, is the idea that Abel, well, he brought blood or an offering of blood to the Lord and Cain brought of produce. And again, this is before the law and before the sacrificial system is set up. And some get, get baffled by the idea that, that God would, would reject Cain and they come to the conclusion that it's because he brought produce instead of blood. But, but again, even though the law is not set up now, we see that when the law is set up, something we're going to study next year as we get into Leviticus, what we're going to see is that the Lord, well, he makes provision for the blood of animals to be offered as well for grain or produce, or from the earth. And so that too is not a good reason to say that, well, God appreciated Abel's. He respected that one because it was blood and that's what's needed for sin, or it was blood and that's what, the, that's what God wants. And Cain, he brought produce, which is not sufficient or not what the Lord wants. No, no, no. Those, those aren't in play in this moment. And even as such, God makes provision for both of those. What we need to understand as we look at this and unpack this is that the Lord did not speak the way that he did to Cain by, because of what he offered. Understand that it was because of the heart behind the offering that the Lord spoke to Cain. And looking at the, the, the terminology and the language used to explain the offerings, well, it really helps us out with that. As we see, it said again that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel well, he brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fats. You see, as Cain and Abel bring their offerings, there was a different heart behind the offering that is indicated there within the text. The language shows and is used there to show us that Cain, as he brought there of the fruit of the ground, well, you have in your idea this, or in your mind, this idea of Cain going to, you could even say a pile of produce and just saying, this will work and just grabbing there of the abundance and bringing that there to offer to the Lord in worship as if he just gathered some from the crop and then took it there to the Lord. But Abel, Abel, Moses is clear to show, he brought of the firstborn of his flock and it says of their fat, showing that there was a difference in the heart behind what Abel brought to what Cain brought. And I'm thankful for the Bible, not just giving us an account of Abel's offering here, but being consistent throughout and showing us in the book of Hebrews, the author gives us some insight into the heart behind Abel's offering there as well. You can jot down Hebrews 11.4 and take note of it. It will be on the screen where the author there says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, which through he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. You see, what is indicated in the language of the firstborn of the flock is the faith that the writer of Hebrews here mentions. You see, as, as they brought their offering there to the Lord, Cain brought from the whole, but it's Abel that brought the first. You see, Cain brought from the whole, but Abel, he brought the first. And the Lord respected that more than the offering of Cain, because as Abel brings there of the first, he brings it showing as he offered it to the Lord that he was trusting the Lord for the rest. He trusted God for the first, for the first and gave it to him, trusting that God would continue to give after that one. And what's more is that Abel not only brought of the firstborn, but it says that he brought of the fats. And the fat, anytime within the Bible, it speaks of the fat specifically in offering and worship to the Lord. Well, you could insert into there the idea of the choice, like the, 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 the good, the rich. Like, like think of it, if you, if you like steak, which if you don't, let's talk. If you like steak, you know, think of that prime rib, right? The, the, uh, of, that, of that prime rib or that ribeye. That ribeye steak is what I'm trying to say. That ribeye that has like the marbling all the way through it and stuff like that. That when you put it on the, you put it on the grill, it like sizzles and smells really good. Or the New York strip, that's my favorite because it's got that big fat line on the, round, on the side of it. That's best. Oh, come on, man, let's do it. <laughs> think of that. You think of as he brought the fat, that he brought not only of the first, but he brought the choice. He brought not only the first in faith, but he also brought the best. He brought the choice to God, which is what the writer of Hebrews said. In doing so, he showed it that he was righteous, that he had a heart that was more in line with the Lord and more in line with what the Lord desired. And it speaks to us, church, understand of how we are to present ourselves and our lives and really all that our lives have within it to the Lord as well. 
Like when it, when, it, when it comes to our resources, when it comes to our time and to our efforts, understand that the Lord, well, he doesn't need to get from the pile. Like he doesn't need to get from the pile of leftovers. God deserves the best of everything that we have to offer and he deserves it first. He deserves it first. And we can piece this out in our lives and think about things. I know what comes to mind when I think of what I need and what I can offer to the Lord, my time. Well, that, that's first and foremost because we all are given time in the day. And as Paul speaks of in Romans 12, 1, we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable act of service. And as, as Abel brought the first and he brought the best, you know, I'm challenged to think about my time in the day and am I prioritizing to give the Lord my time first? You know, does he have me when I wake up in the morning? Does he have my ear and my heart and my mind as I go there and I, and I sip coffee and read his word? Do I submit myself to him first or do I say, I'll catch you at the end of the day? I'll catch you if I have time. And that's something that we should evaluate consistently. Is our time given to the Lord first and is he given the best of our time? so as to honor him, so as to worship him. You know, another aspect has to do with our resources, our, our money. You know, are, are we realizing as the church that as we belong to the Lord, that everything we have belongs to him? I, like everything within this world, it, it is the Lord's. The, our Lord, it says, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All is the Lord's. And so as his, you know, as we work and make money and have resources, do, do we present those back to the Lord as his? saying, Lord, you've given this to me to steward. And so here, the best part of stewardship that I can do is give back to you first and honor you with that. Do you do that with your, with your time, with your money? What about talents and just your lives in general and the trajectory of your life? You know, we are called as his to be and to operate as his always. So are you, am I, are we giving to him first? Is he the priority? And is our giving to him a priority and does he get the best? Or, 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 or does he just get, you know, the time that we have left over? Does he get what's left in the pile? Does he get that which maybe is okay, but is it the choice? Now, that's something that we need to ask ourselves, right? And, and something that we should ask ourselves consistently because our lives, they change, they move. We, we, we're in different seasons of life in different times. And then always we need to evaluate and say, God, am I still giving you the best? Am I still giving to you first? If you are, well, praise the Lord. If you're not, well, hey, uh, there's, a, there's, there's some work to be done. There's work to be done in our hearts and lives as we look to the Lord and see that he desires and he deserves the first and he deserves the best. And we see that as these two bring their gifts, they present it to the Lord, that it is that first, it is that choice that God accepts and he respects the word says. And the other he does not and as the author here writes, and we see the Lord speak, we see that as he speaks, well, he's speaking to Cain, he's speaking to Abel. Well, it leads these two, these two brothers to now have very different endings in their lives. And the endings that we, that we read here, we're going to hone in more so on Cain, because quite honestly, his life goes on past, uh, you know, the, the next few verses. But Abel's end is not something to gloss over. As we see here, Abel, though it is, it is a tragic end, as we saw in Hebrews, I love this, it is not an ultimate end. Like, did you notice that? As the writer of Hebrews writes there, he speaks of the, the gift and the faith of Abel as being something that still testifies today. And as we look tonight and continue to study and, and what comes up consistently throughout this text are choices that are made, what well, we see that the choice of Abel to offer there the first and there to offer the best, well, that's a testimony that still speaks through, and to the, through the word of God and to the people of God today. And I love that because what it is is one simple choice that Abel makes, a choice that ultimately ends his life as his brother is about to take his life because of the, the animosity he has towards him because of this. That choice is still one that speaks and has a testimony and an example to those us here sitting right now. And that's something for us to hone in on. The reality is that one simple faith, one simple step of faith, one simple act of righteousness towards the Lord, well, that can impact someone years down the road. That can speak volumes in a, in the, in a person's life that, it, that you may never meet or never see. 
And so it's so important for us when the Lord prompts us to obedience, prompts us to walk and to work with him, that we obey, that we walk it out, that we give the Lord, again, the best. We give him first, that he's priority and that the choice to follow him is what we choose. That's what we see here with Abel. And I love that this simple act of faithfulness speaks loudly throughout the word of God and to us sitting here studying it tonight. But again, as the Bible elaborates more on Cain, so will we. As we see that verse five tells us that the Lord, again, did not respect Cain's offering. And Cain, it says, became angry. And it says that his countenance fell. Literally what that means, you could say that his face fell, that you could see the anger. You could see how he was feeling there on his face. And what we notice is that the Lord, well, he, he doesn't just bust him there for being upset, right? Like he's not just like, well, you're mad, so let's just, let's just get you out of here. No, notice that the Lord, he, he speaks to Cain, doesn't he? He says there, why are you angry? You know, why has your countenance fell? And this isn't meant to be seen in a way that's like, hey, what's wrong with you, bro? Like he's not like calling him out in a way that's harsh or in a way that's, you know, calling him, call, calling him to, uh, to contend. No, he's calling him out in a way that's saying, hey, you know, why are you angry? Like, why are you so upset? And notice he says that if you do well, like, will you not be accepted? And what the Lord's speaking there is this idea like, hey, you know, you don't have to be angry. Your face doesn't have to fall. You don't have to be upset. You see what I desire, do that. And if you, if you do, don't you see that you will be accepted? Like he's speaking to him saying, hey, look, you know what the standard is. Walk in that. But on the other side of the coin, he does also say, and if you do not do well, well, he says, honestly, that sin lies at the door. That sin lies at the door, and he says, its desire is for you, but you, he says, should rule over it. Again, he's honest with him. He's honest in asking him honestly to come honestly before him and say, hey, what's wrong with you? Do you see what I accept? Hey, do that. If you don't, hey, here's what's going to happen. Sin is wanting to rule over you. Again, that, that word desire, it speaks of ruling over type of language. We talked about that last week. And here the Lord speaks to him of the reality that sin going further down that hole of being angry and upset, but it's there waiting for him to do so. That sin desires to rule over him, desires to control him. But he does say again, but you should rule over it. You should rule over it, exhorting him there to right action. And the Lord is honest with him. The Lord is honest, but as God tells Cain that it should rule over him with a course change, the coming to the Lord as Abel did, we notice that Cain, he doesn't pay attention to that. We see that sin, well, it does win, in fact. And we have a course of events there in the verses that really shows just how deep and how quickly sin, well, it drug Cain down. It really personifies what James says in James 1.15 as he talks about that sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. We discussed that as we studied the book of James just a few months back. You see, Cain and his brother, they walked together and it says that Cain rose up and he killed Abel. And we notice that immediately the Lord calls out to Cain, doesn't he? And much in the same way, this kind of is, is, is reminiscent of last week as we were studying there and Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, they eat of the fruits. And what do we have? We have God walking in the garden. He's calling for them. He's like, hey, where are you? And as they come out, Adam's like, I, I, we were naked, so I hid from you. He's like, who told you that, you know? Have you eaten of the fruit? And we know that Adam at that moment, again, he, he plays the blame game. He passes the buck two moves or two places in one move. He says, the woman that you gave me, but he there again admits to, he admits to the sin. Cain doesn't do that. Notice Cain's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He, he's like, you know, he asks him there, hey, where is your brother? And he says, I don't know. He's like, am I my brother's keeper? He's like, he's just, there is no remorse there in Cain's response. There's no remorse. There is just this, ah, he's somewhere. And the Lord calls him out. The Lord calls him out there speaking of the blood of Cain, of Abel that is crying out to him. He knows what he did. He knew where he was. And he speaks there. We see very quickly as the Lord spoke consequences to Adam and Eve last week. Well, so too does he hear show the consistency of sin always having consequences showing out here as well. And we see there that the, the ground is cursed for Cain, that as, as he was a tiller of the ground before, nothing was going to grow for him. And he's doomed, it says, to be a fugitive who wanders all of the earth and, who, and that he will belong nowhere. He won't have a home anywhere. Notice that as the consequences are being laid out, what Cain does, he, he, he doesn't run to the Lord's. He doesn't repent. Now he just sorrows over the consequences, doesn't he? 
Like he sees what's dished out to him. And we see there outlined in verses 13 through 15 that he doesn't come to the Lord and say, oh man, I messed up. Yes, I did this. It was a fit of anger. I want, you know, he didn't do that. He's just like, oh, someone's going to kill me. I'm not going to belong anywhere. Like, Lord, why are you doing this to me? He just laments not over the sin, but over the consequence. He laments over the consequence, not the sin. He's sorrow because he got busted. He's sorrowful because he's paying for it. But that sorrow is not into repentance. And he chooses, as we're going to see in just a moment, to live out that way. But I want you to notice something before we move on. I want you to notice that even in his, even in his consequence, and he's yelling at the Lord, and he's cursing at the Lord for the consequence, not for, not, not for the sin that he committed, but for the consequence he's receiving. I want you to notice that as he says that he is surely going to die, someone's going to find him, someone's going to kill him. Notice what the Lord does. The Lord doesn't just cast him away. The Lord doesn't just say, hey, I'll just take you out right now. No, the Lord, he extends what I fully believe is just a picture of grace to Cain. Where he says, you know what? You fear for your life. You fear that you're gonna die. What does he say in verse 15? The Lord said, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord, it says, set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And there are, if you study this, there are debates amongst scholars as to whether this mark was, was a curse on Cain or whether it was, a, it was a blessing on Cain. And to see it as a curse, I believe, is to miss the heart of the Lord. Because to see it as a curse is to see it as something where God said, you're just going to live in this state of lostness and sin forever without any type, of, any type of chance to come back. Whereas what really should be seen here is the Lord saying, hey, you made a bad choice. There's consequences for sin, but you can just as easily make a choice to repent. And the consequences are still there. They're still real. But I'm not going to let you face just ultimate destruction just right out of the gate, which is something that Cain deserved, the same thing that we deserve in our sin. But yet we see the Lord say, you know what? I'm going to give you opportunity. You fear for your life. You fear that someone's going to come and get you. Hey, guess what? You know what? I'm still here for you. I'm still here for you. The Lord marks Cain there and says, hey, you know what? If someone gets you, it's more on them. And he opens up to him, I fully believe, an opportunity to say, Lord, I still want you. Lord, I I desire you. And of course, that doesn't happen. We see that. And, you know, as I mentioned last week as well, with the snake and with the serpent in there, there are many who, in, in, in studying the Bible, try to figure out what the mark of Cain is. If that's you, stop it. It's a waste of your time. So just, just please don't do that because we don't know and we don't need to know. So that, that, just stop it. Anyways, we see the Lord mark Cain. We see the Lord say, hey, this is what the consequence is going to be. And we see Cain is set in motion for a life and for a life lived that's going to be very different than what he had available to him. And what I want us to do is I want us to pick up in verse 16 now, because as Cain is now on this trajectory of living a a different life, well, we're going to continue to see choices that Cain makes within his life that affect his family. And as well, we're going to see as we continue on choices made by another son that Adam and Eve are going to have, Seth, that is going to also affect his family's life as well. What we're going to do is we're going to take some time to read from verse 16 all the way through the end of chapter 5. So quite a bit of reading, but you guys can handle it because you're very capable. And we're going to read it so as to get the full picture of what I believe the Word of God wants to speak to us. So let's pick up there in verse 16 and read together through the end of verse 5, of chapter 5, excuse me. Where it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And it says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehujael, and Mehujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. And then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Adah bore Jabal. And he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. But verse 25 says, And Adam, well, he knew his wife again. And she bore a son, named him Seth, and named him Seth. 
For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And he created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them mankind in the day that he, they were created. And Adam lived 130 years, and they begot in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Afterward, he begot, after he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Then Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Then Enosh lived 90 years, begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Then Canaan lived 70 years, and he begot Mahalalel. And after he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Then Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and then he died. And Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Then Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years, had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch, well, he walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. And then Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and then he died. And then Lamech lived 182 years, and he had sons, and he had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years. He had sons and daughters, so all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And then Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we read all these verses together because it really gives us, again, a great picture that is important for us to hone in on from this story. Again, what it shows us here is that life continued on. Again, the Bible sets our worldview. Man wasn't created, you know, or, or came from an evolutionary state. Man was intelligent. Man worked. Man crafted. And we see that there. But more importantly, what we see here is a picture of contrast between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. And we see there in verses 16 through 24 of Genesis chapter 4, speaking there of Cain's line, we see the line of Cain laid out there. And the opening of the section, understand, is what we key on to really set the stage for this line going in the way that he did. As it says there, you'll notice, then Cain, this is after all the consequences came and after all of his conversation with the Lord, it says, then Cain, he went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And that the committing of sin and the consequence being realized, Cain again did not repent, did not seek to stick with the Lord and say, hey, can you roll with me and help me in this? No, it says that he went away. He went away. He left the Lord's presence. And as such, we see that his family that came from him, well, we never see it indicated in the word of God that they went back to the Lord. Cain sets the trajectory and the family, well, it continues on. We see Cain, he builds a city. He has a son who in turn had children as well. And as we're about to focus again on the line of Seth in a moment, the contrast that we see between these two families is very easy to see. In that one family is operating out of following the Lord, while the other, Cain's, is just building a life and following after the flesh. Just building a life and living, following after the flesh, most namely seen in Lamech, who really kind of brings it all to a head for us, doesn't he? There is Lamech is there speaking of having not one wife, but having two. And instead of being ashamed of sin, the sin of his great-great-great-grandfather Cain, instead of being ashamed of that, he glorifies in it. As he himself, in this little song that he writes and speaks to his two wives, he says there that as he was wounded by a young man, that he instead killed, that he killed the young man, and that he gloried in that, and that Cain was going to be avenged sevenfold, well, then he 77-fold. He says, bring it on. 
we see here this line of Cain just continuing to move forward in their sin. In the New Testament book of Jude, a short book there that we studied just a, it was two years back now on our Wednesday nights, we studied that book and it's a one chapter book. And in verse 11 of that book, it speaks of what is known as the way of Cain which is used if you've studied the book of Jude and you've, if you've been a part of, if you've been reading the Bible and, and you're familiar with that, the book of Jude is all about the call for the believer to contend for their faith, to be aware that within and without of the church, that the faith, the, the faith in Jesus Christ, the walking in a relationship with Jesus, that, that it's under attack, again, both in and out of the church. And it speaks there of those who have gone the way of Cain, which is really shown to us here in Genesis chapter 4. This idea of ones who are walking away, who are apostatizing, you could say, to, to use that term, or who are rejecting the truth of the word of God and who are walking in a way that is no longer in line with the Lord, but is against it, is antagonistic towards it, and as such is not in, not in the right space with the Lord. And there are men and women like Cain described here in verse 16, or who is described as doing in verse 16, who are moving out of the presence of the Lord in their own lives. And we see that. And I point that out because the Bible here outlines the choice of Cain, the choice of Cain to leave the presence of the Lord. We learn from this as we follow his line, as we're going to do with Seth in just a moment, that the choices that they make, the sin that Cain commits, well, it doesn't happen, notice, in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. Cain's sin and his choice to rebel against the Lord, well, that is something that permeates through his entire family. It moves throughout generations, something that impacts their lives, and they're not desiring to pursue the Lord, but to move further away from him. And this is something, it's a real thing for us to read and see tonight and to understand that it's still the truth today. That sin our sin, my sin, your sin, we're all sinners in here, so we can speak honestly and openly, that our sin, well, we know that it causes damage. Again, James 1.15 says that when it's full grown, it produces death. And that can mean spiritual death, that can mean physical death, as the consequences of sin can be very easily physical. But it, sin, it causes issues in the life of the person that commits sin, ultimately in separation from the Lord. And we deal with the consequences of our sin. Our sin has consequences. Your sin does. I hope that you realize that tonight. I hope that I'm just reminding you of that reality. And I want to remind us always that sin, whether it's blatant or hidden, it has consequences in your life. But it also affects the lives of those around you. Like my sin damages me and my relationship with the Lord, but it also damages my relationship with my wife. My sin damages my relationship with my kids. It damages my relationship with the church as a part of the church. You know, the church is called the body of Christ. And if one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And so my sin, well, it compromises my effectiveness as a part of the body. And as a pastor, it especially does. My, my sin, it affects you guys. My sin affects my direct call from the Lord to teach the word of God. If I'm sinning, whether it's blatant and outward and habitually or sinning hiddenly and holding on to something, that will come out. That will be affecting my teaching. That will, absolutely, which will affect you guys. And the same is true for you. Your sin affects you, but it also affects the person that you are the closest to. If you're married, it's your spouse. If you're, if, if you're a parent, it's your kids. If you're neither of those, it's the people that are in the closest proximity to you. Your sin, my sin, it affects everyone. Our sin does not happen in a vacuum. And our choice to sin, well, it, it, it permeates every part of our life. And a sin, we see it here played out here in Cain's life, we see that it spans generations. In the same way that my choice to sin can, can permeate that as well, yours as well. It doesn't just affect you and the here and now, but could affect 10, 12, 20, 100 years from now. We see that sin is seen as that which permeates and moves forward. And so if you and I make the choice to sin today, again, whether it's outward or inward, hidden, whatever it may be, and we hold on to that and desire to that, well, we should not be surprised when we see that show out in not only in our own life, but in the lives of those around us, which should give us all the more reason to deal with it. it. Should give us all the more reason to see that as Jesus dealt with our sin on the cross, and as we are no longer in Jesus Christ under the bondage of sin, as Romans tells us, well, we should be those that say, hey, as I recognize sin in my life, or even the temptation to sin in my life, that I'm going to deal with it. 
I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm not going to allow it to dwell within myself or within my sphere of influence. Sin has no place in our lives, friends. And the choice to sin and allowing it to hang around, it affects more than just us. And so it needs to be dealt with. And whatever it is, perhaps that maybe you're holding on to, maybe you have something that's blatant that people have recognized in your life, as people have done in my life before. Hey, listen to them. Deal with that sin. If it's something that's hidden, that the Lord is not ever going to let you go on, is going to continue, especially if you belong to him and you're holding on to that sin, and he's continually through the Holy Spirit, through the word, telling you, hey, deal with that sin. If you're not dealing with that, man, you need to. You absolutely need to. We have to deal with sin knowing that it not only affects us, but those around us. It's so important to deal with it because, again, what we see here with Cain is his choice to continue in that sin, to walk away, to move himself from the presence of the Lord in rebellion. Well, it didn't just impact him. It impacted those around him. And on the other side of the coin, we see that this is also the case as, it come, as when it comes to Adam and Eve's next son, who we see is named Seth, that we're introduced to there in chapter, in chapter 4, verses 25 through 26. And as we look at his line, much like our focusing on Cain leaving the presence of the Lord, so too do we focus on the last part there of verse 26, where it says that Seth is born, and as we see, he obviously grows up to, into an adult, and he has his own kid whose name is Enosh. And it says there at the end of that verse that then men, well, they began to call on the name of the Lord's. And we obviously know that this is like the first time that men and women just started worshiping God. Like we know that Adam and Eve, we know that Abel, that they, they worshiped the Lord. They were with the Lord. They communed with the Lord. But what this here is speaking of here, and Moses including this, shows us that the choice to worship and seek the Lord, well, that was a mark of Seth's family. That was a mark of Seth's family. Unlike the choice of Cain to remove himself from the presence of the Lord, it was a mark of Seth's family to call on the name of the Lord's to walk with the Lord, which is so well exemplified in a, in a man that is named there in chapter, five, in, in chapter 5, a man by the name of Enoch. And we see here that we don't have an elaboration from the Word of God on most of the names that are within this line of, line of Adam and line of Seth. Well, actually, two of them are really the only ones that we hone in on, one of them being Noah, who we're going to look at next week. And then again, this other guy that we saw in verses 21 through 24 of chapter 5, a man by the name of Enoch. And don't be confused, this isn't the same Enoch as we saw that was, that was born over there in Cain's line. This is a completely different one. And I want us to hone in as we wind down tonight, hone in on this relationship, this choice, and this walking of Enoch with the Lord. Pick up with me there in verse 21 of chapter 5, just to make sure that it's fresh in our mind where it said there that uh, Enoch lived 65 years and he begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and he had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch, well, they were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Again, we're introduced to the great-grandfather of Noah here, a man by the name of Enoch. And we're going to actually talk a little bit more about him next week as we see things about him and the implications of his name and walk with the Lord as it pertains to the flood because there's some neat things to see there. But we see very plainly from verse 24 that Enoch, well, he was a special man and that we don't have the Bible giving us any record of him dying, right? Like, like all the rest of the people in that chapter, it's like, this guy lived this long, then he died. This guy lived this long, then he died. This then died, 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 but not for Enoch. Enoch, it says what? That he walked with God, and he was not, because God took him. And though it's a simple thing to read, the implications there of Enoch, a descendant of Seth, they're walking with God. Understand, it stands out, again, in stark contrast to that of, Cain, of the descendants of Cain that we just read about. It's this idea of walking with God, that terminology, well, it gives us this picture, again, of intimacy. It gives us this picture of relationship, of a communing with on a regular basis, of walking, you could say, in step with. That is what Enoch in his life was about. It was about walking in step with the Lord. It was about walking with the Lord in intimacy and relationship. Which is, again, exactly going back to the book of Hebrews, what we see the author of Hebrews speak there in the very next verse that follows the one we just read about Abel a few moments ago. 
In Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You see, Enoch, it says, walked with God. He pleased God. Which again is another reference, an indicator of the, the faith that he had in the Lord and the relationship that he had in the Lord because the very next verse there in Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. Enoch walked with God. He made the choice to walk with God and he stands out to us as a man descending from a faithful man walking with God who exhibited there a choice that I believe that he learned fully from those behind him and those that he gave and exemplified to those after him, especially within Noah. I mean, again, as we're going to read next week, Noah, he stands out, he shines out of a man in the, in, in the pit of wickedness as one who was righteous, as one who was set apart to the Lord, who had set himself apart to the Lord's. Enoch was a man who came from a line that followed the Lord, that called on the name of the Lord, and he exemplified that for those that came after him. And, and even looking further than Noah, we know from the Gospel of Luke that there is the genealogy of Jesus is being laid out there in that Gospel, that it's from the line of Seth, that we see Enoch is named within that line, because that's the line that Jesus came from. And as we study this and as we see this here, I think that Enoch and his faithful walking with the Lord, the intimacy that we see between him and the Lord, the choice that he made to walk in that way, well, that is something for us to hone in on and to really, really seek to see as an example in our own lives as well. You see, presented before us here tonight are, are these choices that we see with these early humans within the Word of God, within the narrative of the Bible, really the narrative of all the human race. We see choices that are made that are presented very clearly before us and as well the consequences of those choices. Choices to follow the Lord or choices to not follow the Lord. A choice to walk after His heart, to pursue and to walk in intimacy with Him, in tandem with Him, in step with Him, if you will, or a choice like Cain to move away from him, to move away from the Lord and to live a life that, that is far, that really just moves off into obscurity, that moves and, and comes to nothing. We see the life of Abel. We see the life of Seth. We see the life of Enoch. We're going to see the life of Noah. These are there shown to us in the word of God, our lives that shows the Lord and still have a lasting impact today. We here today are seeing the example of their choice and their faithfulness to the Lord as something that we are called to as well. And it begs us the question tonight as we study this to see and ask, that, ask ourselves what choice we are making tonight. And to realize that our, our choice, it, it absolutely matters. That our choice matters in whether or not we are following the Lord like Abel, coming to him and offering to him the first and offering to him the best. Not just letting the Lord have whatever's left over, not just getting around to a relationship with the Lord or getting around to pouring into a relationship with the Lord. But saying, Lord, as you've created me, as you've saved me, I'm yours. First thing in the morning, when I wake up, I realize, man, God, I am yours. Without you, I'm dead in the water. Without you, I'm nothing. Without you, I'm lost. And so I want you to have everything. I want you to have me first. Let's go. And I want you to have the best of what I have. And that's not to say that I'm perfect in that. There's mornings I wake up and I'm like, no, not today. Not today. Sanctification's hard. I don't, I don't want to get up and read my Bible. I want to roll over and hit the snooze button. I don't want to get up and do, no, I don't want to do this. But yet I know that every day that I wake up and say, Lord, I am yours. I want to walk with you. That the Lord's right there to meet me. The Lord is there to meet me in my life. At that moment, it's pleasing to the Lord. So am I like Abel? Are we like Abel saying, yes, I'm going to choose you first and I'm going to choose to give you the best. Are we like Seth who, is going, who exemplifies and who makes a priority that of calling on the name of the Lord? so that we see those that we know like Enoch and we be like Enoch who walk with the Lord in step with the Lord, in intimacy with the Lord, in relationship with the Lord. Are we choosing that? Or are you choosing maybe in all the areas of your life or maybe just in some of the areas of your life to be like Cain and say, ha, you can have some or I'm just gonna draw away. And we have that choice. I hope you realize that tonight, church, that we have that choice to either walk with and honor the Lord with our lives and everything that we have or to not. 
to resist it, to reject it. God in his kindness has given us that choice. And the choices that are presented, again, they're choices that we have to make personally. I can't make the choice for you. I can tell you what the better choice is. I can tell you what the better choice is, but I can't make that choice for you. You and the Lord and your relationship with the Lord is between you and the Lord, as is mine. Now, I will say again that our choice on what we will do, it affects the whole. Again, my choice to choose the Lord or not to choose the Lord, it affects my relationship with you. It does. It affects, I know for me, especially in my case, it affects my ministry. It affects my effectiveness in walking with the Lord and serving in my call. But it's the same for you because God has a plan for your life. And whatever it is that God has made you for, if you're not choosing him, then you're not living in all that God has for you. You're not fulfilling the role within the church and your family and your job and wherever God has you. If you're not choosing the Lord and giving him everything, well, then you're not in the place and space that God desires for you. And that affects me. And I take that very personally, thank you very much. Because we are a body. And as the body, we are called, as we walk with the Lord, to shine out in this world, showing a difference in this world, called to be holy as he is holy. And our choices matter, friends. Our choices matter. And so tonight, ask yourself, what choice are you making? Are you making the choice to choose the Lord, to call on his name, to present to him everything that you are, to give him the best, or are you choosing something else? Flesh, sin, this world, fill in the blank with anything other than what God calls us to present to him. And if it's that, that needs to go. That needs to be dealt with. And that's something to not just deal with tonight, but to evaluate and pray through every single day. Because every single day we're faced with a challenge on whether or not we will follow the Lord. As Joshua said there, choose this day whom you will serve. It is a call that we have, friends. A call and a choice that the Lord in his kindness gives us. So what choice are you making? What choice am I making? Again, we're going to see the choice, I really fully believe, of Seth and Enoch. And that whole line, we're going to see that choice really play out next week in Noah's life as we get to that, that story of Noah and the ark. And we're going to see that Noah, indeed, is one who chose himself to follow the Lord. He stuck out in a world. He stuck out in a world that was dark, much like our world is dark, that was growing ever darker, much like our world is growing ever darker. And so we will be presented again next week with the choice. We're really presented right now with it. But we today can make that choice. And I pray that we would. And I pray that we would know that as we make it to follow the Lord, that he is there every step of the way with us. And that's encouraging and great, a great reason to make that choice tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I praise you for the truth of your word. Lord, the truth of your word that shows that, shows that you love us, that you created us, that you call us, and God, that you do give us a choice. And Lord, it is your kindness that does that. It is your love shown in giving us a choice and giving us a will. And as the choice is presented and as the consequences of those choices are laid out for us, I fully believe in the lives of Cain, the lives of Seth and those different lines. Lord, I pray that we would realize what is the better choice. I pray that God, we would realize tonight that you are calling us to make a choice to choose you and to walk with you. And as such, that means that things in our life, Lord, our flesh and our sin and things that separate us from you, that those can't exist. And those can't exist in the same way that they are now if we are going to follow after you. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that we would make the choice, all of us, maybe for the first time or for the 100th time, Lord, that we would choose you and choose you only. And ask you, God, as, as, as David asked in Psalm 119, verse 36, 37, to turn his eyes away from looking at worthless things to incline our hearts, Lord, to your testimonies and not to covetousness, Lord, to let us desire after the things of you and what you have. And I pray that we would do that tonight. I pray that that would be our heart. And God, it would start tonight and would permeate every part of our life, every day that you give us, Lord, would we choose you and know that that choosing, Lord, it doesn't just affect us, but it affects those around us. It affects all of us. And God, you're calling us to choose now. And I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us a choice. I'm so thankful for your love, God, that is extended to us and helps us, Lord, to see what you have. And so I ask today that you would lead us. And I ask today, God, that we would choose you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, tonight as we worship, I'm very thankful, again, still just coming off of Easter and celebrating 
cross and the resurrection. I'm thankful that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us a choice here tonight on what we can choose. Because without the blood of Jesus, we don't have, we don't have an option. Without the blood of Jesus, we're, we're just doomed. That's just it. But the blood of Jesus gives us a choice. The blood of Jesus gives us a choice and a reason to worship and a reason, I would even say, to choose the Lord. And so tonight, as you and we and myself, as we have a time to worship and to reflect upon what God's word says tonight and what's presented to us, a choice to make, I pray that as we choose to choose the Lord, in whatever way you choose to do that tonight, if you want to come down to the, to the altar, to the prayer cushions and pray, if you want me, to, I'd love to pray with you. Some of our elders are around the room. They would love to pray with you as well. We are, we are here to pray with you and to encourage you in choosing the Lord. Let's remember tonight that it is the blood of Jesus and his kindness and his love poured out that gives us that choice and gives us a great reason tonight to choose, not our sin, not our flesh, not this world, but him and everything that he has for us. And so let's respond to the Lord tonight, friends. Let's respond in worship. Let's respond in a choice made to follow him, to put away the things of this world, and to see how that plays out in our lives and the lives of those around us. Because I can promise you, it's better than our sin. It's better than whatever sin you're walking in or holding on to or think may be better if you're wanting to dabble in it. I can tell you right now, God is way better. The choice to follow him is the one to make. So let's do that. Let's do that together, knowing that Jesus, he is there for us, made a way for us to do so by his blood and by his love.